Brothers and sisters, my goal this morning is to uh, bring a, a sermon that, by God's grace, would be an encouragement, a nourishment to your souls, and that would dovetail well uh, between the Advent series of sermons that we have uh, been closing out and going through these last few weeks, and then going, returning, I believe, to Revelation next week. And so, so what would fit well there, and as I've worked through, wrestled through, I actually have right here in my notes that I'm about to preach a topical sermon, and so my, my goal was to do an expositional topical sermon, you know, uh, and go ahead and share with you. It's elders at newbranch.com, I believe. So if you get upset with anything I say, you can email all the elders. That's easy access. Just be careful because I get that too. Uh, and so don't, don't be too harsh on me. I might cry. But anyway, you, you can uh, get with them there. But, but here's, what, here's what happened. Here's how it developed. My goal was to, to do two primary texts. I know that sounds scary when I've just joked about preaching a long sermon. But to do two primary texts. And, and, and to offer two major points. But what it's turned into, you can go ahead and turn to 1 Peter chapter 1, is really, uh, as I worked on that first point, it just developed into a sermon, uh, an expositional sermon. So we'll end with a meditation, an Advent meditation uh, at the end of the sermon from Hebrews chapter 9. All right, So we'll end there. And so what I've entitled the sermon is Active Waiting. Uh, Bob so appropriately read from us. Second Peter this morning on waiting, uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, Advent is about waiting. It's about waiting. Waiting for what? Well, Advent means, as we've talked about these last few weeks, the coming or coming, and we're talking about specifically the coming of Christ. And so Advent is about the coming of Christ. And here, even as a New Testament believer, we are waiting on the second coming of Christ. Yes, Christmas happened yesterday, and the Christmas season is coming to a close, but brothers and sisters, we are still in a season of waiting. We're still waiting for the second coming of Christ. And so, with that, what I want to do first is I want to reorient us to hope. That's the goal. So, reorienting us with hope, and that's the goal of 1 Peter, and we'll be in chapter 1. And we'll look at verses 3 through 5 together. And then uh, at the end, we will have a meditation on waiting from Hebrews chapter 9, right? So the goal from 1 Peter uh, 1, 3 through 5, is to reorient us with hope. So with that in mind, let's turn our attention to God's Word and let's begin reading 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, and Lord, we ask now that you would nourish us on your word. Lord, we understand from your word that we could hear these words this morning. But Father, it is our prayer that by your grace, that the Spirit has gone before and prepared the soil of our hearts, and that we would truly hear these words in a way that results in belief. And Father, that as we believe that the word would take root in our hearts and that it would bear fruit. 
Father, that you would reorient us this morning and fix us firmly on the hope that we have in Christ Jesus. And Father, that you would teach us this morning what it looks like to be in waiting and what active waiting looks like as we long for the second coming of Christ and for his return. So Father, we ask this morning that you would use your word to call to salvation those who don't know Christ. And Father, that you would use it to preserve the saints so that we'd persevere. And Lord, that you would use it to change us and transform us more and more into the image of Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen. All right. So here we are in the very first uh, chapter of Peter's uh, letter. And we'll, we've skipped the introduction, but for the sake of time, uh, let's just dive right in at verse 3 uh, as Peter begins to get into the meat of his letter and as he is encouraging Christians who are uh, waiting, waiting for the second coming of Christ, who are going to endure suffering and hardships, and he's instructing them. And this is his opening. This is his beginning of the letter the, to, to uh, help them. And so in the beginning, well, I said we'd skip it, but I just can't. So in the beginning uh, there in verse 1, it says, to the elect exiles, right? This could be translated later on. You see verse 17, it talks about sojourners. It could be translated as strangers. And so he's writing to believers who are exiles, that this is not our home. As Paul says in Philippians chapter 3, we, our citizenship is where? It's in heaven. That's, that's where we belong. And so we are exiles. We are sojourners in the land. Some translations will use the word strangers. And, and the reality is, is that as we live godly and holy lives, we look strange to the world around us. We look strange. Why would we get up? early in the morning on a Sunday after Christmas and gather here to hear primarily a monologue after we've sang together, right? And we're not, people understand concerts, they, they might understand other things, but to, to hear a monologue from, a, from an old book, why, why would we do that? Why would we give sacrificially our money and give it to others who are overseas trying to share the gospel? And, and, and why do we care about morality the way that we do increasingly and increasingly in a hostile world we look strange. And Peter, this is nothing new. You should be encouraged to know that you're in good company with Christians throughout the ages in that. This is not a new modern phenomenon. This is something that all Christians have known, is that their way of living looks strange to a watching world. And so here Peter is writing to these exiles, to you and I, and he's telling us what it looks like to live in this world as we wait on the return of Christ. And he begins with this great encouragement. This encouragement is what we need, this reorienting of hope that we need to see where our hope lies and where it rests firmly. And so look at how he begins in verse 3, blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, there's the first thing, it's according to his great mercy that we have the hope that he's about to explain to us. Friends, grace is a gift, right? Grace is giving us something. It's giving us what we don't deserve. Mercy is not giving us what we do deserve. And so here we have these, this picture of, of mercy and, and later throughout the letter, grace. And so it, it is God's mercy that he's not giving us what we do deserve. We'll come back to this in a minute, but what do we deserve? Well, we deserve judgment. We deserve 
hell. That's what we deserve because we are rebels against a good and holy God where we try to assert ourselves and be our own gods and rule our own lives. And what has it brought? Well, it's brought sin, death, shame, all the things that we, the blights that we would lament, we've brought upon ourselves through our rebellion against a holy God collectively uh, as a human race, beginning in our first parents, Adam and Eve. But God has given mercy, not giving us the fullness of what we deserve. He's offered us something. So let's look at that. According to his great mercy, he's caused us, Peter's writing to believers, to be born again to a living hope. Now, brothers and sisters, a couple of things that we need to unpack here. First, he says we've been born again. This is salvation, right? We think back to Jesus' language in John chapter 3. That he told Nicodemus, you must be born again. You must be born again. And so uh, you and I have rebelled against the Holy God, as I just said a moment ago. And we stand under his just and righteous judgment. Yet he has sent Christ Jesus, who lived a perfect life, never sinned, but went to the cross, as we just talked about together in the Lord's Supper, and took the punishment for any who would look to him in faith and could receive the free gift of eternal life. And so here, Peter's using the same language that as believers, we've been born again. And we've been born again to a living hope. So why is it that we have a living hope? Because I'm going to come back and explain hope. It's because we have a living Savior. Look, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Now, you and I have this living hope because we have a living Savior. Brothers and sisters, Christ's resurrection was the first fruits, the beginning of the new creation. It's the beginning of what is to come, of all things being made right, as we've been talking about throughout this service. So first, let's think about hope a little bit. What is hope? Pastor Ken talked about this several weeks ago in his Revelation series, and it's helpful for us to be reminded of it over and over again. That often when we say hope, we think about, we're talking about wishful thinking, right? This is what we're saying. I hope this, I hope that, I hope I get this, I hope Georgia wins the national championship. You know, whatever it is that we're saying, we're talking about, I got no laughs on that, so I know where everybody in this room stands. Uh, They're like, that's not wishful thinking. We'll see. Uh, But anyway, so we're we're primarily talking about wishful thinking, that, that I hope this, I hope that. But the, the biblical concept of hope is something that is certain, that's not yet seen in its full realization, but is certain to happen and to come. And here, Peter is telling us that we have a living hope that is absolutely certain that we know will come to full realization, that Christ will, in fact, come again. If you were here for Christmas Eve and you heard Christy and the kids' lesson, you, you, she talked about this, right? That God always makes good on his promises. We only need to read throughout. We, we did Genesis before we did Revelation, right? And we saw over and over that God was faithful to his promises and always made good on his word, that he can't fail. It's impossible for him to. And so that Christ will, in fact, come again And he will bring about the fullness of this salvation that we proclaim and talk about and have already begun to experience in our lives now. 
And so we have this certainty that Christ will come. So it's not wishful thinking. Second, it's a living hope. It's not a dead hope. Friends, we're all familiar with dead hope, are we not? That we wish things had gone differently, right? From the more comical things of if only this play would have gone right, we'd have won state, right? The Uncle Rico syndrome. Back in in high school, we would have won, right? To if only I'd made this decision coming out of high school, if only I'd made this decision coming out of college, then these things probably would have come about. But those things are dead hope. They're, They're in the past. There's no changing the past. And there's no way that we can go back and relive that, right? That's, that's a dead hope. That's a dead dream. But we, friends, have a living hope that cannot be shaken. And the assurance of that is that Christ has risen. We saw this in Revelation chapter 1, right? Yet I was dead, but now I'm alive. Get this, forevermore. You tell me something that offers you that kind of hope. If you've not been to a funeral lately, then the soberness of that maybe doesn't hit you like it should. But think back as we sat at a funeral and, and, and the finality of that. And we, and we think it's, it's, it's over. But here we have Christ who is risen from the dead and alive forevermore, that death has been defeated in the death of Christ. It's exhausted the penalty of sin. The wages of sin is death. That's where it came from. And he exhausted that penalty, paid it to full. There is no more payment to be made. Therefore, death could no longer hold him. So he is alive forevermore. And he offers that eternal life to any who would recognize their need for a Savior and come to him in faith and repentance. Brothers and sisters, friend, you can have that hope this morning that cannot be shaken, that cannot be lost, that is certain and concrete, and that is well beyond any kind of wishful thinking that you can conjure up in your mind. This is what the the Apostle Peter is telling us, that we have this hope in Christ Jesus. Now, look at what he says as he presses on. He said, we have been, we have this hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance. That's where he begins. That word inheritance implies that the fullness of something is to yet be received, right? The fullness of something is to to yet be received, that we will be receiving this in full. We, We already take part in this through our salvation and experience this resurrection life now. But we don't yet know the fullness of it. And so let's look at how he describes it. He says, this is an inheritance that is first imperishable. It's first imperishable. Friend, have you ever been at work, been at school, you're coming home and you're thinking about, I can't wait to eat this, whatever it is. It's in the refrigerator, it's in the pantry, maybe it's a bowl of cereal, preferably Captain Crunch with berries, right? That kind of thing. If it's not, that's not your go-to choice, repent. But so, so whatever it is, maybe it's that. Maybe it's you just want a, a, a glass of milk because there's that last brownie left. You want some chips. I don't know if you're hungry or not. You shouldn't be. You probably ate too much yesterday. But, but, but whatever it is, you're longing for it, right? 
You get home, you open the pantry, you open the refrigerator, and the milk's spoiled. The bread, the cheese, it has mold on it. You ever been there? Right? It's shelf life. It's hit its expiration date. Brothers and sisters, what the Apostle Peter is telling us here is that the hope that we have in Christ, it has no expiration date. It is imperishable. It will never perish. It is immortal. It is unsinkable. It is a certain hope that has no end date or shelf life on it. Praise be to God. Think about the goods, the things that you enjoy. Everything you know is perishable and has some sort of expiration date on it. Does it not? Finding this out all the time. My kids got all kinds of toys yesterday. Dad, do you want to play? No, I don't. My hip, my knees, my back, it's got a shelf life on it. And I'm getting closer to the end day by day. Thinking about... Thinking about just jumping off this stage makes me hurt. And so, no, I don't want to do that, right? Everything that we enjoy, it's got a shelf life on it. But here, Peter is telling us this is a hope that is imperishable, unshakable, and has no expiration date. I want you just to think about this morning, whatever else it is that you're placing your hopes in, and ask yourself, is it imperishable? Is your bank account inexhaustible? Is your intellect inexhaustible? Is your physical abilities imperishable? Is your job? I mean, if anything about the last two years have taught us something, how fragile everything is and how quickly it can all change. Friends, I'm telling you, you need something that is unshakable. You need something that is guaranteed. You need something that is imperishable. And the only thing that can give you that is Christ. What does he say next? He says it's undefiled. It's undefiled. Let's say someone comes to you one day while you're pumping gas. You're there. <clears throat> I don't care. You, you pick the context. You pick the setting, day, night. doesn't matter to me. You're pumping gas, and they walk over to you, and they offer you some extravagant gift. Large sum of cash, jewelry, car. Here, take it. Take it. What's one of the first questions that's going to come to your mind? In that moment, it ought to be, was this gift legitimately acquired, <laughs> right? If I pull out of this parking lot in this car, the police going to pull me over because I stole it, right? I mean, is this car stolen? Is it cash? Was it, is this legitimate? Is this gift legitimate? And what Peter's telling us here is that the gift, the inheritance that we have in Christ is legitimate. It is undefiled. How do we know this? Because in offering of this extravagant gift of Christ Jesus, the Bible is absolutely clear that God is both just and justifier. This is the way Paul writes it in Romans. He, he says that, that what God gives to us in salvation through the riches of Christ is absolutely just in him doing it, and he is justifier in giving it to us. Friend, the reality is is that you and I don't deserve such a rich and lavish gift as Christ. 
We don't deserve a living hope. We don't deserve this hope that is imperishable. We haven't earned it. We haven't merited. We never can. Some of you just need to be freed from that this morning because you're trying to earn. You're trying to merit. Just stop from your labor because you can't and receive what God offers you in Christ Jesus. We cannot earn it. We cannot merit it. But here's the reality. In this, that we've rebelled against a good and benevolent and holy God, and we deserve the judgment that we've talked about previously, God has not ignored our sin and swept it under a rug and said, ah, oh, let's just let bygones be bygones. No, he's just. He can't do that. You and I don't want that. We don't want that. We want it for us, right? We'd love it if everybody just overlooked our sins. But when someone sins against us, we don't want an unjust, unjust world. We want things rectified and set right. And God will not overlook injustice. But he sent Christ as an atoning sacrifice. And Christ came willingly in his love. Galatians 2, John 3, God sent him in love to live the life that we could not live. And to go to the cross and to take our sin upon himself. Where our sin, where our rebellion, justice was served at the cross. And God looks to us as we come to Christ in faith and repentance. And he declares us righteous as the great justifier. Brothers and sisters, we've received this gift and it's not undefiled. It is pure and beautiful and wholesome, and full of grace and mercy from God the Father. It sounds too good to be true, doesn't it? Yet God sent Christ to save us, just as we see in those Christmas stories in the Gospels. You name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Christ has come to deliver us from sin and death. Maybe this morning you need to be freed from trying to earn and you just need to receive the gift that God offers in Christ Jesus. Friend, maybe you've, you've just you've thrown it all off in reckless abandonment and you just don't even care anymore. You gave up trying to earn and you'll just forge your own way. The reality is, is that both of those have saddled you with a burden that you can't bear. And in the end, you will stand before a holy God. And you will give an account for your life. And there's only one word that will make you meet him in mercy. And that is Christ, who died for you, was raised for your justification. Any other word, and you will meet his righteous judgment. A judgment that you cannot bear. Today could be the day that you just reach out, fall upon his mercy and grace, and receive the gift that God offers you in faith. Brothers and sisters, let's look at what Peter says next. He says that this is an imperishable, undefiled, and unfading gift. Kids, if you're in the room, think about your favorite gift that you received three years ago. That's assuming that the average age is six. If you're three years old, you don't remember what it was three years ago. If you do, come talk to me afterwards. That's incredible. But <laughs> think about that. Adults, you do the same. Adults, think about your favorite gift five years ago, ten years ago. You may not even be able to remember your gift five years ago, ten years ago, adults. Um, 
Let me ask you this. Did anybody have a gift that didn't, didn't even survive yesterday? Anybody have a gift that broke yesterday? Yeah? Yeah, we had one in our house too. You may have had a gift that broke you yesterday, I don't know. Um, but think about, here's, here's what we're told. Maybe, maybe it was the favorite shirt or sweater, but now it's fading, right? And it's showing its wear. Even that new car, maybe that wasn't a Christmas gift, but no matter how much you wash it and wax it, it just doesn't have that showroom luster anymore, right? It doesn't have that glow anymore that it had the day that you bought it. Friends, what we're told here is that this gift of Christ, this inheritance, is unfading. It is not so with Christ. That his grace and mercy, Christian, you need to hear this, his grace and mercy is as new and rich today as it was the day you first believed. Is that not good news? That his grace and mercy is as rich today as the day that you first believe. Christian, let me ask you this. Do you currently find yourself in a season where you're not amazed by God's grace anymore? Maybe you've fallen into some sinful patterns and you're falling into this trap of thinking that you need to clean up a little bit before you come to the Lord. Would you please hear what I'm about to tell you in love? Stop with your foolishness. Don't delay. You run to Christ this very moment and you throw yourself on his mercy and on his grace. As one of the Puritans said, he is more ready to forgive than you are to sin. His mercy and his grace is as new today as it was the day you first believed. Stop trying to, to, to pay for your sin through some sort of righteousness of, of re-weighting the scales a little bit and then, then you'll return to the Lord. No, you throw yourself on his mercy and grace and you stop believing that anti-gospel lie that somehow now you've got to earn some favor uh, now that you've been brought into the family and throw yourself on his mercy and favor and just receive as we're calling those who don't know Christ yet to receive, 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 receive the mercy and grace of Christ Jesus. Because it is unfading, ever new. See, the hope that we have in Christ, it doesn't have an expiration date. And it isn't old and faded and tired. Praise be to God for that. Now, what happens if you have something so valuable so cherished and so treasured. What's one of the first things that you think? Talk how to keep it safe, right? Better buy a new safe, get a new car alarm, put out some of those motion detector lights, right? Get a camera, security system. How do we keep things safe? That's what we do when we get something valuable, something treasured. Well, friends, the Apostle Peter is already a step ahead of us. Look at what he says. <clears throat> he says that this is an imperishable, undefiled, unfading, and it's kept in heaven for you. 
Now get this, because this doesn't get any better. Who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Friends, we have a treasure that cannot be appraised in Christ Jesus. But God is keeping it safe for us by his power. The same power that raised Christ from the dead is the same power that is guarding the gift that he has given to you in Christ. This hope that is unshakable, that is imperishable, that is unfading, that is undefiled, is guarded by God the Father. That's good news. It can't be taken. It can't be stripped away from you. The Lord has promised to guard it. Look at the promise. What we have, the hope that we have in Christ. And be reminded that it's kept by God and there is no chance that it can be lost. Now, let me ask you a question. It's going to come to this end of this section of the passage. Because I think it's important for us to, to dive down a little bit deep and just ask ourselves, what, what are we hoping in? Now, it's easy for us to all give the Sunday school answer, even our own hearts to ourselves, but let, let us not be deceived. Truly hoping in. I think our hopes and our idols are often closely associated. So sometimes I think if we can probe a little bit and see what maybe some of our idols are, we'll kind of see what some of our hopes are. And I really like the way Tim Keller summarized idols years ago. He said that idols are things that we love, trust, and obey. That's just really easy for me to remember, and I need easy. I don't know about you. But they're things that we love, trust, and obey. I love this. Let's use money. It's easy. I love money. We can go two different ways with that. I love money because it gets me things, right? So I, so I love it. I want to have it and spend it. Or we can say I love money because it offers me security. I got to save it and hoard it, right? Because it, it gives me security for the future. So that's an easy one. So let's, is it because it gives me things or because it offers me security? So, so I trust it. I trust money because it's going to get me things or offer me security. Therefore, I obey it. So I can't give any to others generously because if I give it to others generously, then I won't have any for me to get me things that I like. And then, or I won't have any for that rainy day because i got to save it because it offers me security. You see how that works? So we don't have to just do it with money. We can do it with all kinds of things and just apply that. I love it. I trust it. I obey it. I love it. I trust it. I obey it. So, so, so now we are seeing how it's, how it's an idol. We'll sacrifice for it. We could add that one in there. So I'll work more hours so I can get more money to get me more things or to get more money to save so I can have more for a rainy day, right? So you see, so I'll sacrifice time with family. I'll sacrifice, on and on we can go. So, so those, those, are, those are some ways that we can, we can look at it. So, so, so there's a way that you can begin to probe in your own heart and, and find, find idols in your life. And say, so, you know, what is it I'm truly hoping in and resting my hope in? And, and does that hope have an expiration date? Just ask that question and apply this passage to that. And, and then next... I think another way that maybe we can get at idols if that's not getting traction for you. What is it that if you got it, you're thinking that would really bring me fulfillment? 
this college degree, this relationship, this promotion, this job, this standing in stature, what is it? If there's something out there that you think, if I could get that, I think that would give me fulfillment. That could set you on a trail to some of your idols. Now, here's what I'm doing. I'm just trying to, to help out and, and sketch out some ways we can get at it. What you need to know is that idols often, the way it's been described, they're, they're good things that can become God things. A job's not bad, right? Paul says if you don't work, you don't eat. That's not, that's not bad to have a job. You ought to have a job. But if you don't want to have a job, we've got a whole other idol issue. And so, so, so we, we go on. And by the way, I don't mean that you have to have a job where you make money either, all right? So don't come hit me with that one afterwards, all right? Uh, productive work that benefits and serves others, that's what I mean. Uh, so so, so we, have, we have that, all right? So the job's not a bad thing, a family's not a bad thing. These are good things that can become God things and ultimate things in our lives. And, and so, so, so what is it? What is it? If you got it, it would bring you fulfillment. What is it? Let's go another way. What is it if you lost it, you're like, that would destroy me if I lost this, whatever it is. Could be some of the same things. Maybe you already have the, the first question. Well, I've already gotten what I think will bring me fulfillment. What happens if you lose it? We, we, we try to, as we pray in our home and thank God for things, and oh man, listen, we don't, we don't talk to my kids afterwards. We've failed in so many ways in discipleship, right? Uh, lots of ways. And, and so, but, but one thing that we try to do, praying at home, is... God, thank you for the things that we have, but, but help us to remember that if we lost all these things, we'd still have Jesus and he's enough. Right? It's the same thing we've seen in this passage. He's the thing that can't be taken away. And all these other things aren't guaranteed. That's a hard prayer to pray. All right, let's ask another question. What's the first thing that you want people to know about you? That could set you on the trail to some of your idols. What's the first thing that you want people to know about you, notice about you? It may not be what you, what you tell them, but you would love it if they knew it about you. All right. Here's a common one. When your mind is free to roam, where does it go? When you're free to think about whatever you want to think about, what do you think about? These questions are not unique to me. You can find these all over the place, right? These are the ones that have just stood out in my mind over the years that have helped me. All right, let's go at this another way about hope. Not only can hope, can your idols and hope be closely associated, your longings and hope, these are all can be intertwined. Your longings and your hopes can be closely associated. Your, your longings can point you to your hopes. So let's go at this from the positive direction, right? We just kind of went the negative direction. Let's go the positive direction. So, so maybe your hope uh, right now, or maybe your longing is you just feel exhausted and you long for rest. Think back to what we did in the Lord's Supper. We long for things to be right. There's a holy longing there, right, for rest. Jesus said in Matthew 11, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you... Yeah, that's Shaw's part. And I will give you... Thank you. Yeah, I'll give you rest. And, and so, so uh, as he, so think about that. So, so you're longing for that rest. Now, the thing is, is that maybe your hope is in something less than Christ to get that rest. Does that make sense? 
Like a nap's not going to do it, is it? Moms with young kids, like a nap's not going to do it, is it? Moms with older kids who keep you up at night worrying about them, right? A nap's not going to do it. We won't just go young moms. We'll go with moms who have older kids as well. And, and, and that's, that's not enough. A nap's not a bad thing. A nap can be a holy thing. We can talk about that at another time as well. But, but we have to know that, that in the midst, the ultimate rest is only going to come from Christ. Maybe you're on sorrow overload. Has anybody ever been there? This is a safe space, by the way. The camera can't see you guys. It can see me, but it can't see you guys. I have sorrow overload. Friends, I mean, the news, bad news after bad news after bad news after bad news. Open up your social media feed, and you just see the things that grip your heart, right? And we weren't really meant, we don't really have capacities to be omniscient, to know all of these things that we have access to these days. And it can really put us in a place of just sorrow overload. Remind us of how broken the world is and how no matter how hard we try, we won't create heaven here on earth. But maybe you're on sorrow overload and you're just longing for peace or shalom, as Pastor Ken talked about in one of the earlier Advent sermons, just for things to be whole, full, and right. Now, the question is, where are you putting your hope in to get that? Right? Like one vacation is not going to do it. One piece of good news or, or one victory is not going to do it. Like ultimately, and those things may not be bad things again, but ultimately it's only going to come through Christ. He's the only one who's going to have that final word and set everything right once and for all. And wipe away every tear and when death and sin will be no more. So, so what we have to ask ourselves is where is our hope? And what are we really placing it in? Not what we say, but functionally what we believe and how we live. Friends, the call of the text this morning is place your hope firmly on Christ. And remember, we are waiting for the fullness to come. We're waiting for this fullness to come. Look at this. Who by God's power being guarded through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. We long for that. We wait for that. Now flip over to Hebrews 9 and I'll give you a quick meditation. And we will be in way under 67 minutes. Maybe. I might get carried away here. I'm joking. I think. Um... But, but look, look at this. This has just been a, a meditation. It was an Advent reading earlier that I had in the season. It's just been with me throughout. So Hebrews 9. And we'll go down to the end of the chapter, verse 27. Just give this meditation and one final exhortation as we close out the year and go into the new year by God's grace. Amen. Hebrews 9, verse 27. And just as it was appointed for a man to die once, and after that comes judgment. Let me just stop there. The world loves this philosophy that all, that God is on top of a mountain, right? 
and you just choose your path and it will get you to God in the end? Friends, that is a half-truth. Do, please listen to me and don't call me a heretic later. That is a half-truth. The reality is, in the end, you will meet God. That's, that's the part that's the truth. The false part of that is that they're preaching that philosophy as it will get you to God in good standing. It will not. But every path that you choose will ultimately get you there. This verse tells us that. Look, and it was appointed for a man to die once, and after that comes judgment. We will all die, and we'll stand before God. The question is, will we meet him in favor, or will we meet him in his holy anger? And so... Look at what it says next. So Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time. There's a second advent that we're longing for and that we're waiting for. Not to deal with sin, but listen to this, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. Well, brothers and sisters, that is the call. We are waiting. We are longing for his return. For when he returns, he will save us. Is that not good news? This is our waiting. This is our longing. We've been coming through a season of waiting. And what I'm telling you is we are continuing in a season of waiting We could preach a whole host of sermons and I could well go past my time limit. Let me just give you one thing that we do in waiting from Hebrews here to encourage you for the new year. Because, as I said, I've titled the sermon Active Waiting. As we wait, we we are not passive in our waiting. We are active in our waiting. And I want you to know, don't don't hear me and, and miss the gospel riches and the truths that are there. I'm not saying that we're, that we're active in some sort of earning way. No, no, no. Everything that we do as Christians is active, is rooted and grounded in the grace of Christ that we've already been given. We only do out of what we've received because the, the root of all the fruit of everything that we do is the root of justification. Right? It's nothing that we're doing to earn favor and merit favor with God. And, and so, so listen, one thing, two things. Maybe three, but they're going to be fast. Go read later. This will make it fast. Go read later the rest of 1 Peter 1. Specifically, look at verses 15 through 17. Be holy as I am holy, says the Lord. It's a call to holiness there. In our waiting, we're to pursue holiness. Go read 1 John, right? And those who wait for him, because they know they'll be like him when they see him, they pursue holiness now, is what it says in 1 John 2. And, and, and so, so, so we see that. So we pursue holiness. We can think about it from the context of Hebrews. A holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Right? So we're to pursue holiness. Next. Persevere. All right, and this gets into the exhortation for the new year. Persevere. Let me tell you the best thing that you can pray. When you pray through the membership role that we talked about in our meeting back on December the 5th is that you pray that God would preserve your brothers and sisters, that they would persevere in the faith, that they would make it all the way home across the finish line and not ever turn their back and renounce the faith. 
That'd be one of the greatest things that you can pray. My wife reminded me of this recently, hearing her pray for a family that we know has a child in the hospital right now. And just praying, Lord, keep their faith strong. In those moments, the best way you can pray for those who are suffering, Father, let not their faith diminish, but let it increase in this season of suffering. Pray that God would preserve them so they would persevere. And in that, what I want us to see is that we need each other. We need each other in the church. I'm going to show you this from Hebrews 10. Flip over, read it to you quickly. In Hebrews 10, 24 and 25, just the next chapter over from Hebrews 9. Look at what it says. This is God's word. This is not mine. So let us not count ourselves to be wiser than God. Verse 24, and let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. Now, look at that. The day is capitalized in in your ESV, at least, rightfully so, because it's eschatological, right? The end. And here's God's means for preserving you. Go look at Hebrews 3 later. It's in the negative, to warn one another against sin every day as long as it's called the day. Same thing. You'll see the the end time tone there in the the passage. We just don't have time to go there right now. So it's, it's negative, warn, positive, stir one another up to love and good works. And so we need each other so that we can help each other get to the finish line. This is God's means, remember, it's kept for you in heaven, it's secure, but his means relying on one another and loving and serving one another well. This is our active waiting. Brothers and sisters, we need the church. We need each other. We need to be stirred up to love and good works. We could do a lot on talking about what that looks like. We need each other to warn one another against the deceitfulness of sin. Listen to these words from J.C. Ryle. Never be absent from God's house on Sundays without good reason. Never to miss the Lord's Supper when it ministered in our own congregation. Never to let our place be empty when the means of grace are going on. This is one way to be growing a growing and prosperous Christian. Now listen to what he says. The very sermon that we needlessly, needlessly is key, that we needlessly miss may contain a precious word and season for our souls. The very assembly for prayer and praise from which we stay away may be the very gathering that would have cheered, established, and quickened our hearts. That's good counsel from Bishop Ryle. Christmas Eve, we are getting in the car to come here. I have a propensity to be late for things. My wife says, we're going to be late. And I said, what time is it? That's your first indication that things are not good when I'm getting in the car. I have a watch, a phone. We have clocks all over our house. And I say, what time is it? She says, it's 4.52. Church starts at 5 o'clock. I said, oh, yeah, we're going to be late. We take off. We get to the longest red light ever known to mankind. 
the intersection of 211 and 124. And it absolutely skipped our turn. <laughs> and one of our kids said, we might as well go home now. And I was thinking, <laughs> yeah, you're probably right. Uh, so we sat there for at least an hour. No, I'm just kidding. We get to the next light, and we hit every red light on the way here. And by the time we get to Spout Springs, I'm thinking, yeah, we probably should just go home. We come in to the foyer, and I think, we'll just sit in the back. Well, we got too many people in our church that love Jesus, and this place was absolutely full. There was no seats in the back. Christy was in the middle of her lesson. The only thing that was available was this right here on the front. <laughs> and I thought, we really probably should go home now. So we sat out there and looked through like you guys were a zoo exhibit in those windows <laughs> until everybody stood up to sing. And we walked down here, the walk of shame for church people, and sat on the front row. And I got to tell you, I stood up here on December the 5th in our members meeting. I said, let's pray for, for each other during this season because this season can be disorienting be dizzying the, the pace. And I can tell you, I just went through a season like that. Work, uh, just our personal social agendas, right? A trip. And we got up here, and can I tell you that I'm glad that we didn't go home? As we sang together, and by the time Ken walked through John 1 and the lights went out, and I thought the people in darkness have seen a great light. And I was absolutely wrecked. And can I tell you that if we went home and did family devotion, it wouldn't have been like that. But I am so glad that I walked in late and the Lord was gracious to us. Brothers and sisters, we are not to go at it alone. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your love and mercy. Be gracious to us as we close out this year as you have lavished your riches upon us. Set our hearts to active waiting. Humble us from our pride of thinking that we can go at it alone. Let us not think ourselves wiser than you. Let us cherish the gift of Christ. Let us stoke one another and stir one another up to love and good works as we enter a new year. Let us warn one another from pitfalls that we may snatch one another out of the fire. It's in the name of Christ we pray. Amen.